everyone, and welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me to discuss these things is the woman who has served her one to five years, but keeps coming back for more. It's Lydia. Well, you know, you, what do they say? You, uh, <laughs> it's a fail. It's a, a total <laughs> fail. <laughs> wow. Alrighty. My brain failed. Okay. <laughs> do you want to redo that or do you want to just cruise right I don't on? know. Do you actually have anything? Um, you know, I was going to say, what is it that they say about, like, <laughs> you know, when people are in prison for too long and they get. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they just, they, they, they can't live on the outside. They, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. No, I think I'm just going to leave that all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll know what having a conversation with me is really like. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't even know why my brain just. Refused, just outright refused. Well, moving on. Moving uh, on. Thank you for joining me once again, Lydia. Well, we'll see if I get here or not. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, hopefully, you found us on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or one of your favorite pod catchers. And maybe you're a member of our Facebook group. And if not, please come over and join. And I know you haven't sent any feedback. Well, a few of you have. One or two. Uh, and if you'd like to do that, you can send it to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And, of course, I'm hoping that you're one of the many hundreds of people who have subscribed to our YouTube channel, where you can find many of the films that we've covered here in the podcast, including today's topic, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. So I think... With that, we will take a short break and listen to a five-minute mystery and another promo from another fine podcast. And when we get back, we'll start discussing the film. Another five-minute mystery. Sure, Mr. Ronald, hadn't I better make you a cup of chocolate? No, thanks, Mrs. Bland. Uh, Father's working rather late tonight, isn't he? In that stuffy old library, too. Suspect I'd better pour in a little extra for that butler of yours, Mr. Bowling. No, no, Mrs. Bland. Will you say that makes one think... (laughs) What's that? Sounded like a truck backfiring out of the road. Oh, no, Mr. Ronald. It was in this house. A gunshot? Mrs. Bland, come on. Mr. Ronald, look, they're on the floor. Why, it's Bowling. He's unconscious. Mrs. Bland, turn on the lights. Bowling, old man. Bowling. He's being struck on the head, Mr. Ronald. Look, someone hit me from behind you. Mr. Ronald, your father in the library. Mr. Ronald, quick. Oh, Oh, Mrs. Bland. Your father, fallen forward on his desk. Mr. Ronald, is he? Yes, He's dead. Mrs. Bland, call the police. This is murder. 
Tell the inspector whatever he wants to know, Bolden. We've got to find out who murdered my father. Yes, sir. Well, I was locking the front door when I first heard the voices from the library. I was surprised because I didn't know Mr. Sweeting had a visitor, but just as I approached the library door... Yeah, go on, Mr. Bowling. Well, sir, I heard the shot. For a moment, I was confused. Then I opened the door and Mr. Sweeting was lying forward over his desk, a bullet wound in his temple. I saw a piece of paper caught in his hand, sir, and then a tingling sensation of fear flashed up my spine. I knew I wasn't alone, sir. I didn't see anyone, but I realized the murderer was there, and it flashed through my mind that he was waiting till he could get hold of that piece of paper. Did you take it, Bowling? I did, sir. That is, I slipped it into a book that was on the desk. But there's no book here on the desk. You must have taken it after all. I even remember the title of the book, sir. It was The Widow's Walk, and I slipped the paper between pages 77 and 78. But just as I did... Yes? The murderer darted out the door behind me. I whirled and ran after him. The next thing I knew, something struck me over the head. No, Bowling, you're wrong. Hold out your hands. I arrest you for the murder of your employer, Mr. Sweeting. What was the one clue that told the inspector Bowling was the guilty man? In just a moment, you'll hear the inspector explain, but first... Wake up. Go to work. Work. Come home. Eat dinner. Rot your brain out. Go to bed. Lather. Rinse. Repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. Nimlas.org slash blog. And now let's see if your talent for detecting is as good as the inspector's. But how did you know Bowling killed my father, Inspector? He didn't say anything far as I can see. Yes, he did, Mrs. Bland. Striking himself on the head was almost enough to make the whole thing plausible. But he said one thing that told me he was lying. You see, it's impossible to insert anything between pages 77 and 78 in a book. Because odd-numbered pages are always on the right, even ones on the left. 77 and 78 are actually the same sheet. It just can't be done. back. Yes, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers was released in 1946, and it stars Barbara Stanwyck, Van Heflin, Elizabeth Scott, and the feature film debut of Kirk Douglas. The film was directed by Lewis Milestone, and we've recovered two of his other films uh, before on the podcast, Lydia. Mm-hmm. 1931's Academy Award winning The Front Page, which I really like the direction of on that mm-hmm. film. And in 1932's Rain, which I don't yes. think the direction stood out quite as much for me on that one, but it was still a fantastic film. The acting was phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, director Lewis Milestone, in support of the set directors who were on a strike at the time, left the set of the film and was replaced without credit by Byron Haskin. So that's a little interesting. So maybe that's 
We'll get into when we get into the discussion of the film as far as the direction. There, there's nothing I could find as far as how much was Lewis and how much was this Byron. So, mm-hmm. six months after the film's release, Milestone gave an interview in which he said he would never work for the producer Hal Wallace again because Wallace had wanted reshoots in order to get more close-ups of Elizabeth Scott, uh, who was an up-and-coming actress at the time, and a. And yeah, and Wallace apparently was a big supporter of her and tried very hard. <laughs> yeah, Intr- well, I did notice this was her second film. So yes, it was. She was very early in her career. Yeah, Milestone refused. Actually, he told Wallace to go shoot him himself. And according to uh, Lewis Milestone, Wallace did. Wow. And after reading that, I was like, mm, there is a lot of a um, lot of scenes of her talking into the camera, probably more well, so than anybody else. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, it's almost, um, we, we probably will talk about this, but it almost seems like she was more the main character than Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, sure. And that may have a lot to do with Wallace really the pushing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, as we were talking, this was only the second film for Miss Scott. Uh, she was dubbed The Threat by the Paramount Pictures Publicity Department. And this description came from a the critics who called her that, that she said that she was the threat to the body, the voice, and the look. They said the body, Marie McDonald, the voice, Frank Sinatra, and the look, Lauren Bacall, were all supposed to be mm. threatened by Scott's arrival on the Hollywood scene. <laughs> she does look remarkably like Lauren Bacall. And at first mm. I kind of – it was a little it was a little confusing because she – even the voice, I, I mean, sure. if you see much with Lauren McCall, even in her later stuff, she, she they sound a lot alike. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very uh, – Elizabeth Scott has a very uh, precise way of speaking. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in, in several of her lines where it's just – it's kind of sort of clipped in some ways, but it's just – it's an interesting – she has a very interesting way of speaking. Well, and to me, it was a lot about the tone. She has that sure. kind of – that kind of rumble that's mm-hmm. similar to Lauren Bacall's. Yes. Yeah, she did create some waves. Uh, for instance, in a letter, Barbara Stanwyck objected to Scott's originally planned top billing in this film. She wrote, I will not be co-starred with any person other than a recognized male or female star. Wow. <laughs> the lawyers for uh, Hal Wallace and Stanwyck got to work, and eventually the final billing ran Stanwyck, then Van Heflin, and then Scott, with newcomer, newcomer Kurt Douglas in second place. So the three, the Stanwyck, Van Heflin, and Scott all kind of got equal billing on the first card. And mm-hmm. then you get, and introducing <laughs> Kirk Douglas. <laughs> so yeah, as I said, this was Kirk Douglas's screen debut. Producer Hal Wallace was on his way to New York to look for new talent when he bumped into Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Uh, they suggested he, that he go to a play which featured an old drama school classmate of Bacall's, Izzer Dimsky. Uh, this fellow would later change his name. To Kirk Douglas. Interesting. Douglas says he wanted to be an actor after he recited the poem The Red Robin of Spring while in kindergarten and received <laughs> applause. <laughs> that will do it. The bug will bite hard. After serving in the Navy, Douglas returned to New York City and found work in radio and theater. In his radio work, he acted in a number of network soap operas. And he intended to remain a stage performer until Lauren Bacall introduced him to Hal Wallace and his life in film began. Now, unfortunately, and you know, you're going to hate me for this, I really wanted to have more on him and Miss Stanwyck and, well, honestly, all the actors. 
but everybody has so much to talk about. Uh, Douglas is, of course, still with us at 100 years old. Uh, he and his wife, I think, just celebrated their, like, 80th wedding anniversary. Wow. <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck, well, she made 85 films in 38 years in Hollywood, and that works out to, like, two and a half films a year. So, And that was before she did television after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this film here that we're going to be talking is a meaty two hours long, and so I think we have a lot to talk about. So I encourage everyone to do a little of their own research or wait till we get a chance to talk about some of these other actors again in the future. Because, uh, yeah, so uh, Van Eflin is just kind of was just a kind of a character actor, so he doesn't have quite as much info. But Elizabeth Scott is very interesting. Kirk Douglas is just amazing, his career. And <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck is like Barbara Stanwyck, you know. So I think we're going to go ahead and go start talking about and get into the film, get into the synopsis here. The movie opens on a dark and stormy night. I don't think we've had a dark and stormy night for a while. <laughs> and not for a little while. Yeah. And the uh, title card tells us that it's 1928, at the, and we are at the I.P. Ivers Rail Yard. A young boy and girl meet in a rail car. Uh, this is a young Sam and Martha. We find out that the girl's aunt has uh, got all, all the cops in Iverstown looking for her. She's run away. She wants to run away and escape her aunt, and Sam suggests that they jump the circus train that's coming through town later that night. While they're making their plans, the rail car doors open and a couple of officers catch the kids. And unless you got wings, you're caught. <laughs> well, they help Martha down out of the car, but as they begin to help Sam down, he jumps from the car and runs off. Well, next we find ourselves at the large home of Mrs. Ivers. A Mr. O'Neill and his son have arrived to see her. O'Neill tells Ivers that Martha's been found, but Ivers already knew somehow. Oh, Mr. O'Neill boasts that it was his son, Walter, that led the police to Martha and Sam's hideout. Good evening, Mrs. Ivers. Good evening. Good evening, Mrs. Ivers. I have good news. Martha... What about her? Martha has been found. I know. Well, it was Walter who was really responsible for Martha being found. He told the police where she and that boy, uh, Sam Masterson, usually go. Isn't that so, Walter? Yes, Father. The boy will be rewarded. Well, he's a good boy. And he's bright. If I could afford it, I'd send him... Send him to a school like Harvard. I guess I've mentioned it before. Many times. Yes, madam? Take the boy to the kitchen, Lynch. Give him some ice cream. You may give him a piece of cake, too. Go along. Miss thank Mrs. Ivers, Walter. Thank you, Mrs. Ivers. Uh, Mr. O'Neill seems to be kind of angling for a, uh, a lot, some sort of large monetary reward, maybe. Like, like maybe money enough to send Walter to Harvard. Uh, <laughs> and Ivers thinks ice cream and cake will suffice. So Mr. O'Neill is apparently a teacher of, or a, a tutor of young Martha. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Ivers says that Martha is going to be sent away. You've lost your pupil, Mr. O'Neill. I'm sending her away. I know why you offered to tutor Martha. I know why you made Walter do his daily lessons with her. I know why you want him to live here. A scholarship for Walter, that's why. But I'm not a foundation, Mr. O'Neill. I don't care whether Walter drives a truck or goes to Harvard. Probably be a lot happier driving a truck. So about this time, the police bring Martha home. The butler, who seems to be a pretty good guy, uh, takes uh, Martha's kitten from her. So 
I like what he says. He says, may I, may I take your furs, miss? <laughs> and she says, no. And she hangs onto the cat. And he says, yeah. you know how she feels about that cat. You better yes. let me. I'll have it sent to your room. Yes. <laughs> so he, I like the butler. He's, he's, he has very few lines and you see him very little. But right away, you kind of like this guy. Yeah, even just that opening line, may mm-hmm. I take your furs, cracks me up. <laughs> Look at me. You don't seem very sorry. I am. I'm sorry I was caught. No matter what you do, I won't cry. This is the fourth time you've tried to run away. Each time you were brought back here, no matter how far you got, you were brought back here. You don't own the whole world. Enough of it to make sure that you'll always be brought back here. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Your aunt doesn't deserve such an attitude, Martha. There are not very many women who'd be as patient and as kind. And there aren't very many little girls who'd be as ungrateful. When will you understand that I'm doing all this for you? That I'm trying to wash the dirt and grime off you, making ivers out of you again? My name is Smith, the same as my father's was. Your name is Ivers. I've had it changed legally. I don't care what you've done. Your name is Ivers, the same as your mother's was before she was stupid enough to marry... Shut up! Shut up! How dare you? Shut up! still got his foul mouth. I won't let you talk that way about my father. Your father was a nobody, a mill hand. The best thing he ever did for you was to die. I'll you. Get you out. Get you. Stop. Stop. <laughs> all right, Mr. O'Neill. How dare you say that? <laughs> She's really awful. She's in a few other movies that I and I took note of it, and I don't have them right in front of me, but she always kind of plays this, like, she was in... Uh, Rebecca, she was the creepy lady, the creepy oh. housekeeper, and she was in a few different, you know, a few different movies where she plays just this kind of horrible, creepy creature, if you will. And this is another one; she's very good at it. Yeah, well, yeah. If you if if you, ha- if you have a gift, you know, go with it. She was in, and then there were none. Also, she was the uh, the weird maid. Oh, great. Okay. Well, Martha goes up to her room after her toe to toe with Mrs. Ivers. And she finds Walter there with the cat. Uh, Walter tells her that despite what his father says, Walter didn't tell anyone where they were. Well, the storm causes the lights to go out. And after lighting some candles, Martha admits that the lightning and thunders scares her. As opposed to what she just told Sam a little bit ago. Exactly. Who was tra- yeah, she was trying to be very brave. Yeah, I, ble- I kind of really breezed through the, uh, the, the scene within the, uh, the, the, the rail car, but... My apologies. I'm actually going to breeze through a lot in this film. <laughs> uh, just give you guys fair warning. We are talking about a movie. This is practically two movies in one. It really is. So it was very difficult to actually get a synopsis and not writing an actual book. <laughs> yeah, and this is actually, this is over an hour and 50 minutes. So even for this, for this time period especially, this is a very long movie. Absolutely. And it's, you really could have split it into two completely separate stories. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't think I was really ready for the length of this film, especially after the last couple that we've covered were an hour or less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so we walk into this and I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's one of the, one of the reasons where we're recording so late on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way they set her up, they, the girl that plays Martha early on, the young Martha. Yeah. Yes. It, it, tell me if it's just me, but she's kind of 
creepy. <laughs> she's a little odd. She's got a death stare for she one. She does. Well, and when you the first thing she asks Sam when he says he brought her some food, she says, "Did you steal it?" She's all excited, and he says, "No, I bought it." She's like, "Oh," and so you're kind of going, mm, "What's up with this girl?" <laughs> she's uh, I, I get her thing about cats. I'm there, but it, with her whole, you know excitement about stealing things and yeah she's got a pretty nasty death stare yeah this is a girl that no matter what happened in her life she was going to be trouble (laughs) yeah pretty much well she says that the the lightning is scaring her so walter goes to close the curtains and he happens to spot sam outside the window and he lets the boy in sam tells martha that he's leaving and she's better off with her aunt if she just plays it smart with her she'll be fine well martha won't have any of that She hates her aunt, and if Sam won't take her with him, then she'll go by herself. So Sam relents, but they have to leave now. Well, Martha goes to get some things, and the cat happens to run out of the room while she opens the door. Well, Sam heads down the stairs to try to fetch the cat, because Martha says if if the aunt catches the cat, yeah, you don't want to know what's going to (laughs) happen. And you're going to find out, unfortunately. Find out. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he makes a little too much noise doing it. And Mrs. Ivers comes out of the uh, study into the hall to investigate. Well, and, and Martha is just whispering, hurry up, hurry up. That old yeah, Sam, yeah, that, that old witch is going to hear you. Yeah. <laughs> be quiet, Martha, for the love. Just be quiet. And she wouldn't have come out. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mrs. Ivers heads up the stairs and the cat crosses her path. Mrs. Ivers uses her cane to beat the cat, and I do not want to know where they got the sounds for a cat beating from. Oh, I it was didn't rough. Listen too closely. Oh wow. Well, it, considering this was the forties, they I Lydia, let's move on. Probably did not <laughs> actually kill a cat. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> well, Martha runs down the stairs to try to stop her. She grabs the cane from her aunt and then promptly uses it to smack her aunt in the head. Mrs. Ivers tumbles down the stairs to her death. And this is all witnessed by Walter at the top of the stairs. The lights come on just as Mr. O'Neill enters the hall. She's dead. We were upstairs. We heard a noise and we came down. We saw a man, a big man. He was leaving. Out of that front door he left. See, it's open. She was lying there. this. This was lying there, too. I picked it up. Isn't that true, Walter? Isn't it? Is it, Walter? Yes, Father. It is. Put it down. Put it exactly where you found it. Yeah, and again, this is this is another one of those moments that's she's just super creepy. She just lies without even a second thought. You know, yeah. she doesn't. She just right away exactly. And she, I don't. I I suppose he asks her what happened, and she just said, "I don't think he even asks her, does he?" No, I don't think he does. He yeah, just she's just, just says, he's just oh, staring. Dead. Yeah, she's dead, and then she just goes right into the. Uh, it was a man, and he was big, and he ran out the door. See, it's open. Well, Mr. O'Neill calls the police and then has a talk with Martha and Walter. I want to talk to you both. Stop. Mm-hmm. 
Now, when the police come, you will tell them exactly what you told me. Do you understand, Martha? Yes, Mr. O'Neill. And you too, Walter? Yes, Father. You poor child. You'll be all alone in the world now, except for Walter and myself. But you needn't be afraid. We'll always be with you, Walter and I. We'll never leave you. Thank you, Mr. O'Neill. At the end of this conversation, in the distance, we hear a train whistle. Sam has jumped the circus train and is on his way out of town. And believe it or not, folks, this is this is a lot going on, and we're only 17 minutes into the film. <laughs> that's that's the kind of movie this is. Mm-hmm. Well, we flash forward to 1946. A man is driving along with a sleeping sailor in the car. Uh, probably looks like probably a hitchhiker. And he notices the sign welcoming him to Iverstown. Competition at the fairgrounds last week. In the handicap, Chestnut King looks like an odds-on favorite. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Chestnut King's a dog. He was losing races to cow ponies years ago in Tijuana. Well, what do you know? What do you know about that? How do you like that, sailor? Leave a place when you're a kid, maybe 17, 18 years ago, and you forget all about it. And all of a sudden, you're driving along and smack all your own hometown up and hits you right in the face. Sailor, come on, wake up. Where are we? In a small accident. What happened? The road curved, but I didn't. Come on, I've got to put in Iverstown for repairs. Next time, I pick me a guy that don't fall asleep. Welcome to Iverstown. Well, maybe this time they mean it. So as he puts it, yep, the road curved. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he pulls his car into a shop for repairs in Iverstown. While he's there, he hears a radio news bulletin about the re-election campaign of the district attorney, Walter O'Neill. The news story on the radio says that Mr. O'Neill fell sick and he couldn't make a rally that he was scheduled to speak at. Well, apparently this man knew Walter as a kid. The garage owner tells the man that it is a sure thing that O'Neill will be re-elected. And he thinks that uh, he'll probably run for president someday. (laughs) In fact, he'll be whatever his wife wants him to be. His wife, Martha. While walking through town, the man passes a house, attractive blonde on the porch. He strikes up a conversation with her. Yeah, after ogling her legs. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Hello. Hello. You live here? Used to. Who runs this place? Lady the name of Mrs. Burke. She's not home. You waiting for her? Just came back to get my things. I've been away for a while. I'm waiting for a taxi. I used to live here in this house 17, 18 years ago. I was born here. Don't kid me, you're older than that. 
Well, I didn't move right after I was born. Got one to spare? Got some more matches? Hang here these. Got the time? Yeah, it's a quarter after 11. I ain't that just dandy. And I've got an 11.30 bus to catch. You can still make it. Half the taxi doesn't show up fast. You know anybody lives around here the name of Masterson? No. Know anybody in town at all by that name? No, I'm from Ridgeville. Is your name Masterson? Mm-hmm, yeah. You mean you're just getting home after 18 years? Well, 17 or 18. You're just getting around to looking up your people. No, not exactly. I just happened to be driving through on my way west and got more or less curious. So, oh, good luck. So we, we find out what happened to Walter. We find out what happened to Martha in 1946 there. And now we, we're, we're reintroduced to Sam, all grown up. Well, Sam leaves and the woman uh, catches her taxi to head to the bus. As her taxi is going through town, she spots Sam and offers him a lift. Her name is Antonio Tony Marichek, and thanks to a train, she misses her 11.30 bus. Uh, they get to the train uh, crossing right there. The taxi driver has to stop. And he even mentions, you know, we would have made it if you didn't pick up your friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony and Sam decide to go out for a drink. So Sam has the cabbie head down to the hotel and uh, get Tony a room. The two head off to a nearby cafe and get to know each other a little. Both have had a rough go in their childhood, uh, which they kind of bond over. In the end, it's decided that Tony will join Sam when he leaves. And as the rain starts to fall, the two make a dash for the hotel. There's kind of a moment where they duck into a, uh, under the cover of an awning, and he mm-hmm. uh, points out the picture of Walter, and he says, doesn't that look like a scared little kid to you? <laughs> yeah. And she says, he looks like he's about to cry. <laughs> Let's get away from him. Yeah. And they leave. But it's interesting, I think, they... Well, I suppose we'll talk about it in a little bit, but, you know, this is Kirk Douglas, and it's interesting that, you know, as a kid... Yeah, Walter, Walter O'Neill is Kirk Douglas, you should, we should point yeah. out. I haven't mentioned yeah. who's playing... <laughs> I didn't even mention who's playing who, have I? <laughs> well, you know, we kind of get the idea, but, um, you know, he. it's interesting because we're so used to Kirk Douglas in these kind of strong, pushy roles, mm-hmm. and his very first role is supposed to be this kind of weak, scared, wishy-washy guy that just gets pushed around by his wife a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting to see him in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's go ahead and and cover this right now. Uh, Sam Masterson is played by Van Heflin, and Tony is Elizabeth Scott. Uh, Martha is, the older Martha is uh, Barbara Stanwyck, and yes, her husband, Walter O'Neill, is uh, uh, Kirk Douglas. So I get that out of the way. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. I didn't have that in my notes as I was going through. Well, at this point, we cut to the Ivers' house. Martha arrives home, and we find out why Walter couldn't make the rally. Uh, he was passed out drunk. Skunk is a drunk. Yeah. He said he started to go. He was getting dressed and everything, but he realized it was the anniversary of his father's death. So he went for a drink instead. The whole thing, the whole thing made him think of his father and how happy he'd see to have this successful son married to a rich and beautiful woman. It also reminds him how his father sat there in court all those years ago and watched as Walter, as an attorney, sent a falsely accused man to his death for the murder of Mrs. Ivers, even though all three of them, the dad, Walter, and Martha, knew the truth. Walter continues to have some guilt over all of it. All right. 
Now tell me why you got drunk. Because I couldn't get up and speak before people. Walter, listen to me. What's done is done. The deed's done, not the thought. You've got a life to live. I don't know. I'm not sure. A brilliant career. My father always said that. Your father was right. He was never right about anything. From the day he walked in and found your aunt on the floor. I told you I never want that mentioned. The day he sat beside you in the courtroom. As I, the public prosecutor, demanded that the state take the life of a man for the brutal murder of Mrs. Iverson. My father said nothing. I, I looked at him, but he said nothing. Your father was a realistic man. My father, may he rest in peace, was a greedy man. The man they executed was a criminal. If he hadn't hanged for that, he would have hanged for something else. A man was a man. Justice is justice. It... That's the way it is. I... I can't get up and speak before people. The words tick in my throat. I... I'd rather get drunk. I, I do get drunk. I... I did get drunk. Walter, dear, listen to me. If you carry a thing in your mind that makes you sick, I want you well. Tomorrow... It will be like today. You will leave on a trip for your health for a few weeks. Will you go with me? No. I'll stay here. And I'll stay here, too. What do you want to do? Give everything up? Is that what you want to do? You wouldn't let me do that, would you, Martha? Do you want to? I don't know, Martha. I ask myself that question all the time. If my father were alive, I could ask him. Only I know what his answer would be. He'd say to me, keep what you have. And make her live up to it. Make her live up to her bargain. That's what he'd say. I am living up to it, Walter. He tries to pull in and kiss her, uh, but she doesn't really respond. Uh, Walter apparently really loves Martha, but the uh, feeling is not mutual. Next, we see Sam and Tony making it to the hotel. Well, this is it. Not good, not bad. With bath? With bath, and come out, come out, wherever you are. With bath, eh? There's half as many baths as there is rooms. Half the rooms has baths and half hasn't. That's one way of looking at it. Another is, for each two rooms, one has a bath in the middle and the other hasn't. Or, you might say, there's a half a bath to each of two rooms. How is that again now? There's half as many baths as there is rooms, and if, if the two... Sir, I've already sent the boy with those bags up to your room, Mr. Masterson. Oh, well, they belong to Miss Marichek here. They came in my name because she wasn't registered yet. I, uh, I, I missed my bus to Ridgeville. Oh, that's too bad. The boy went off at 12. You'll have to manage yourselves. I can't leave the board. Thanks. Good night. Sweet dreams. Good night, Cupid. 25. Your room number's 25. I'm 23. Makes us neighbors. <laughs> a short little moment of levity in a film that doesn't have a lot of it right there. That's true. Well, Sam and Tony get comfortable in their rooms. Uh, they're right next door to each other uh, with an adjoining bathroom there. Tony, after cleaning herself up, offers a book for a cigarette. 
as long as uh, Sam doesn't mind what book it is. He agrees, and she offers up the Bible, which she found in her room. She says that someone must it's not hers, someone must have left it there. <laughs> Sam laughs, laughs it off and shows her there's one in his room and says, you know, there's probably one in every room everywhere. So well, he goes to take a shower, and Tony blurts out where she has been lately. So you're leaving tomorrow? Yeah, we're leaving tomorrow. That is, if the car is fixed. Sure you won't mind me being a passenger? No, no. Glad of the company. Are you going to stay in the West? Maybe, maybe not. You might get lonesome again. I've been lonesome before. I was so lonesome tonight, I like to die. Now you mentioned that. But I tried to tell you why. Look, I'm going to take a shower. I just got out of jail. I just got out tonight. Like I said, we leave tomorrow. Well, Sam has his shower, and when he comes out, he finds Tony sound asleep in his bed. He covers her up and goes to her room to sleep, uh, taking a bottle of scotch. And his keys and wallet with him. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a cute little moment where he's, he's grabbed a bottle and he just kind of glances over his shoulder at him and it takes his wallet as kind of a, just as <laughs> safety, just in case. The next morning, a couple of guys in suits, who we later find out to be cops, make the bellhop open Sam's door. Tony's gone and they find Sam in the other room. They also find a note from Tony. They wake up Sam. And we find out that Sam was in this, was a sergeant in the military and everything. We get a little backstory there as they go through his wallet. They show Sam the note from Tony. It says that she went to the bus station to cash in her ticket. Well, it turns out that these guys, uh, like I said, were cops. And they picked up Tony and arrested her. Arrested, arrested her. I can't talk. I don't know why that word's so <laughs> hard catching. to get. Yeah. <laughs> And arrested her for violating her probation. She was supposed to return to her home in Ridgeville. When the cops leave, Sam notices the paper that had been delivered. And there's a photo of Walter. Well, this gives him an idea. Good old Walter's going to do a favor for Sam. So now we cut to the office of Walter O'Neill. Sam does the obligatory flirty thing with the secretary. the way the election's going this beautiful morning. The election's going good every morning. Uh, look, honey, uh, Miss, uh, St. John. St. John. Bobby. Better still. What can I do for you? In? In, but not yet ready to face the world. Won't you sit down? Look, uh, honey, I'm in kind of a hurry. Uh, would you take a note in for me? When he buzzes. Well, Miss St. John delivers a note and lets Walter know that Sam that someone wants to see him. Upon reading the note, Walter goes into a little bit of a panic mode and begins to tell her that he doesn't want to see Sam, but then thinks better of it, puts on a smile, and goes and greets his old friend. The two do some small talk and catch up a little bit. Sammy! Sammy Masterson! My little Walter O'Neill. We were kids together, Miss St. John. I wouldn't have known you, Sam. Well, I wouldn't have known you either, Walter, only I saw your picture. My picture? Oh, yes, yes, of course. I don't want to be disturbed unless it's very important. Yes, Mr. O'Neill. How long has it been? Oh, 17, 18 years, something like that. That long? We were just kids, remember? The three of us? Yeah. 
three of us. Thanks. What's she like, Walter? Beautiful. I married her. I know. I know. You've done all right. I guess so. And you, what have you done? <laughs> Knocked around. Seen a lot, I guess. You know, had some fun, maybe. What have you done mostly? Lately or mostly? Mostly. <laughs> gamble. You mean gamble? Sure, sure. That's my business. Perhaps this is where I should remark that all life is a gamble. You don't need to bother. I know it. Some win, some don't. You needn't have made that point. I'm sorry, Sam. This has been a stuffy conversation. I, uh... Oh, would you like a drink? Isn't it a little early in the morning? I haven't even stopped for breakfast yet. The occasion. You talked me into it. So Sam finally gets to why he came to see Walter, and he asks for his help in releasing Tony. Walter tells Sam that what he's asking is no small task, but Sam tells him, oh, you'll do it, for old time's sake. As luck would have it, Martha stops by the office. When she comes in, she doesn't recognize Sam, and even after he introduces himself, the name doesn't really seem to click with her. It isn't until he gives his little special whistle that they used to use as kids that, uh, that it all comes back to her. Hugs all around. Uh, Martha actually seems genuinely pleased to see her childhood friend. Like a real person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Sam lets Martha know that depending on Walter, he may have to leave town pretty soon. So he says his goodbyes and leaves, letting Walter know where he can be reached. Walter and Martha discuss Sam's appearance after all these years. Sam will never tell. I'll never forget you saying that. What makes you think he will? What makes you think he won't? How long has he been here? He came in last night. Did he tell you much about himself, where he's been, what he's been doing? I thought you'd ask what he wanted. What does he want? He's playing it smart. Sam was always a smart boy. All he wanted was for me to get his girl out of jail. His girl? That's what he said he wanted. What do you think he wants? What he can get. He's a gambler, a sharpshooter, an angle boy. They come through my office by the hundreds. Couldn't you see blackmail in his eyes? I haven't your experience with criminals. You will. When Sammy starts to shake you down. Release the girl. Maybe he'll just pick her up and leave. Leave? Do you think he'll leave a touch worth millions? There's only one way you'll find out. Release the girl. So Walter here is pretty positive that Sam is there to blackmail the two of them. They believe that they witnessed everything that happened in the hall all those years ago. It just struck me that he's uh, he's just immediately so guilty. Yes. <laughs> you know, and she it's like she doesn't even think about it, which I guess is maybe a reflection of her horrible child self. But, <laughs> um, but it, it's immediately the first thing he thinks of is blackmail, which kind of mm-hmm. makes me wonder about this guy. I think we, we, we find out that they think that Sam was there in the hall and saw Martha hit Mrs. Ivers. Yeah, we're pretty much left to assume that mm-hmm. he was. Well, Martha suggests that they try and see exactly what he wants by just releasing the girl that he asked to have released and then see what happens. And with that, she leaves. I mean, well, she pretty much orders him to release the girl. After she's gone, Walter gets on finding more about Sam Masterson, including asking for a private detective to be called on and sent over. And we are finally to the one-hour mark of the film. We're, <laughs> there's a lot that goes on. Ooh. It really is. 
And I'm blowing through this. Oh, <laughs> you are. Sorry. We've got no quotes in so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of clips. You would have heard lots of clips here. Yeah. No, well, no. I mean, we're not quoting them at all. Yeah, no. And we're still, I mean, we're just chugging through this thing and we're barely halfway through. Mm -hmm. Well, later that day, Sam stops by the Ivers house. Martha sent word that she wanted to speak with him. And rather than call, he just came over. And she figured he would. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, she says so. Oh, okay, I didn't remember. Well, Martha gives Sam a tour of the house and fills in Sam and what's been going on in the last 17 or 18 years. And she eventually leads him to her old bedroom, which she has left just as it was all that time ago. Well, the rest of the house she's kind of remodeled and decorated and brightened up, but that was the one room that she didn't touch. The two remember that they were going to run away together that night. But as Sam puts it, there are just a couple of kids. Well, Martha leans in and tells Sam, we aren't kids now. Yeah, Martha pretty lays it, lays it on the uh, the little flirtatious, uh, I, I don't even call it flirting. She's throwing herself at him. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty open. <laughs> she tries to explain about her relationship with Walter, but Sam says he saw all he needed to see at the office. He could tell that Walter was absolutely crazy about Martha, just from the way he looked at her. Long story short, he turns her down. Well, Martha gets a little cold and finally asks what it is that Sam really wants in Iverstown. All right, Sam, what do you want? What do I want? Yes, why did you come back here? Well, the road curved, but I didn't. Answer me. Hey, now, wait a minute. You sound like I have to. As a matter of fact, you sounded just like your aunt used to. Don't say that to me. Don't ever... Look, baby, I won't be around long enough to repeat it. As soon as a certain young lady's out of your husband's clink and my car's out of Dempsey's alleged garage, I'm headed west. I think you really mean that. Any objections? No. No objections. I should have known if I remembered. You should have known what? You. That you'd be like this. I'm sorry. Sorry that you ever left here. So Martha appears to finally be convinced that Sam doesn't have any ulterior motives. Not to, I think she never was positive he did, but this was kind of her way to feel him out and find out, feel him out and feel him up, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and find out for sure. So I think at this point she's pretty sure that he either doesn't remember or he doesn't care, and he's just, he is just passing through. Uh, before you leave, she does ask for a kiss, you know, for old time's sake. And Sam obliges, but there doesn't seem to be anything really there between them. They open their eyes on each other. Sam p pushes her away and says goodbye. Well, we find ourselves at Dempsey's garage now, where uh, Sam has his car in for repair. The owner takes a call. Uh, this call ends up coming from Martha. She asks that he stall on Sam's car repair. All this is passed on by Dempsey to another man that is in the office. This man is next seen going into and meeting with Walter. This is the private detective that Walter called on, and he has a report ready for Walter. There's not much to report on him locally. Out-of-town reports are still coming in. You'll have a complete file on him in a couple of hours. What's he look like so far? He's a big-shot gambler. Broke many times, but always turns up with a new bankroll. The police in every state have tried to find the source of his money, but no dice. Many arrests, no convictions. Beat a murder rap in Frisco. Self-defense. 
has a war record few can equal. The car in Dempsey's garage. The ownership certificate says he owns it. What's wrong with it? Smashed radiator. How long will it take to fix it? Well? Who did Dempsey get this call from? Didn't you check that? Yes, I checked it. And who was it? Mrs. O'Neill. That's all. Well, after the detective leaves, Walter calls to have Tony brought to his office so he can talk to her. While Sam waits for Tony to be released, Tony is being questioned by Walter. We are doing some time jumping here. Sorry, folks. We're <laughs> jumping from a few hours from scene to scene. And it, and it does that in the movie. It's not yes. We're not leaving out huge chunks of anything. <laughs> There's just so much that happens in this movie. Walter tells Tony that she's looking at having to serve her full five-year sentence, but she doesn't have to. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Tony asks what she has to do. Without Walter motions for the detective, who's also in the room, and the screen goes dark before we find out what the deal is. And if this was a modern movie, I'd be a little worried for Tony. Exactly. <laughs> well, Tony is finally released, and she meets up with Sam on the street. Uh, she is obviously bothered by something, but won't tell Sam what it is. She does say she wants a drink, and Sam is happy to oblige. Over a glass of wine and a spaghetti dinner, Tony pretty much forces Sam to hear why and how she ended up in jail in the first place. Go ahead, eat. Guess I'm not hungry. My stomach's in a knot. Yeah, this ought to help. I'd have died if I had to stay on in jail. Forget it now. You're out. If you'd ever been in, you'd know what I mean. I know what you mean. A couple of times last night, I tried to tell you. Why did time? You wouldn't listen. I don't want to now. Oh, now you've got to. Please. All right. If it make you feel any better. I want to be sure you understand. One to five they gave me. One to five years, that is. It's a long joke. It's forever. I did three months before I came to trial. It can happen to the best of people. I'm not the best of people. I'm just Tony Marichek. Where'd you get the fur coat, Tony, the judge asked me. I met a guy, I told him. He said he was in love with me. He gave me the coat. A likely story, he said. I said, but it's true, every word of it. I, I tried to pawn it because I needed the money. Where's the man, he asked. I don't know, I said. He he took a powder, he, he blew, he flew to the moon. You don't fly, Tony, the judge says. The charge is theft, you do one to five. Well, <clears throat> how, um, how come they gave you probation? First offense. You know what probation is. I'm sure. Knife sticking in your back. Still looking out for the cops? Relax now, you're free. I don't feel so good. You only take you back to the hotel? Oh, no, no, please. Let me sit here a while. a nickel every time I got put in jail because a guy gave me a fur coat. I'd be rich by now. <laughs> you, could, you could cash in the fur coat. I could cash in the fur coat. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have a nickel. <laughs> well, about this time, Tony Tony starts looking around like she's like she's looking for something or, or she's waiting for something. 
and suddenly a man pulls a chair up to the table and orders Tony to put on her coat and claims to be her husband. Sam, thinking he's been betrayed by, uh, by Tony and lied to by Tony, tells the man that you can have her in spades. That ain't good enough for this guy. He wants to teach Sam a lesson. The man sends Sam out through the kitchen into the, into the alley, and then as he goes through, signals three other guys to follow. After they all leave, the detective shows up and sits down with Tony and tells her she did a fine job. As she leaves the cafe, she spots Sam being roughed up in the back of a car as it drives away. Next, we see at a sign that's 25 miles outside of town, we see him crawling out of a ditch, obviously having been worked over. In his hand, a private detective's badge that apparently came off in the fight. <laughs> well, bus happens to come along, and Sam takes it back to town. As luck would have it, Tony's at the depot and getting ready to get on a bus herself. He pulls her off, and, tell, and she tells him why she set him up. Cut that. Crime's not going to get you anywhere. I'll stop. I ought to beat it out of you. I think maybe I got it coming. Why? 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 Last night in that restaurant, I kept trying to tell Come you. on, get down to it. Before they let me out, they took me to the DA's office. O'Neill? His name's Walter O'Neill. Yeah, that's right. That's his name. All right, they took you to his office. He asked me a lot of questions, mostly about you. Not me. About you and me. Huh? He kept asking me if I knew why you came here. What? He asked me that a couple of times. What else? Oh, a lot of questions I forget. Remember? I had to mix up. Well, the goons, the, the ones who worked me over. They just wanted to scare you. O'Neill doesn't want you in town. They said if I didn't play with them, I'd, I'd go back to jail. You said that, O'Neill? No, no, the other man, Mr. O'Neill, wasn't there by then. Cute kid. They said they wouldn't hurt you. Much. No more parole, they said, if I went for it. I'd do the whole five, they said, if I didn't. I went for it. Go ahead and hit me, Sam. I've got it coming. is a break I'm going back to town they don't want you here Sam I don't know what well, it is but they don't want they you like here it or not, they got next me. time it'll be worse look I don't like to get pushed around I don't like people I like to be pushed around I don't like anybody to get pushed around and we are believe it or not all this happened in about 20 minutes we're only about the hour and 15 minute mark of the movie mm-hmm. i mean oh my gosh there's so much going on in this film there's 42 minutes left i think that's honestly that's where my kind of my synopsis ends because i think that's a <laughs> that's as good as place as any because you can start to see there's a lot more that goes on I, how much i mean we can talk kind of roughly about some of the stuff that goes on after this without actually going by the any kind of point by point thing not that i've been very good at that just because i'm just I've been just kind of nailing the highlights, I guess. Well, and I mean, so so far we obviously we have Tony and Sam are interested in each other. Mm-hmm. We have Martha's interested in Sam. We have Walter's interested in Martha. <laughs> but you have two completely separate storylines going here. If it didn't just happen to be that Walter could use Tony to get Sam in a position where he could get beaten up, these two stories wouldn't coll- they wouldn't intersect at all. No. That's like the only point of this movie where these two storylines intersect. So it's, um, I mean, that's part of the reason it's so long, as, as you said earlier, and I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but this really could be two completely separate movies. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, and the stuff that goes on, you know what's amazing is there's a lot going on, but it's all, 
it's all important stuff for each individual story. And mm-hmm. then every now and again, something really important happens in one story that affects the other story. Mm-hmm. And well, and and you, I didn't realize the interest between the producer and Elizabeth Scott, mm-hmm. but now knowing that this Tony character was inflated, it makes so much more sense yeah. because she really is treated almost. Sam is treated as the main character with Tony as the secondary main character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once you're out of that childhood portion, then really it's about these two. And it's almost like Walter and Martha are kind of this afterthought. Yeah. And uh, and so it's, you can tell, well, knowing now what I know, what you've told us, it, it makes so much sense now that, okay, so they had this story about this bizarre woman and they picked Barbara Stanwyck to be this strong but weird character and then somebody came in and fiddled with it and made this other woman actually the main character when she wasn't necessarily intended to be so. So it's kind of weird. It's almost like if you had left Tony out of this movie entirely, you'd have a much darker but more poignant story instead of this kind of romance Square. Yeah, you would probably just end up with kind of the typical love triangle sort of story. And then I think throwing in that this love square is what it kind of boils down to. Well, it, and they there was so much they could have done because they started Martha off as this really kind of weird child, you know. And she has – and I think they kind of – at the very, very end, they, they hint – and exactly how it, I mean, the story is called "The Strange Love of Martha Ivers," mm-hmm. yeah, and I take that as a possessive strange love, as in her strange love for somebody else, not the other way around. Sure. So it, it feels like they. It makes sense. It makes more sense if they had meant to have it as a major Stanwyck movie, but it kind of got twisted and changed so that her character becomes essentially a minor character. I think it's really interesting that the minor characters, by your definition, by what you were describing, and you're right, which would be Barbara Stanwyck and Kirk Douglas's characters, Martha and, uh, and Walter, the minor characters are the characters that drive the story. They are, and they're more interesting to me uh, because you kind of have this sappy romance between Tony and Sam where he kind of saves her. He kind of rescues right. her. And their, their story is very simple. And if if that romance side of it were left out, you would have this dark, weird situation. And I don't want to explain why it's as weird as it is, but, you know, and why it's so interesting that Walter immediately jumps to the conclusion of blackmail. Mm-hmm. You have to watch the movie to find out why that's really interesting, because it is really interesting, actually. But, uh, you know, but if they had if they had left it as just that, it would have I think been more powerful because it wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have been distracted by this sappy romance. Right. It would have been more of a, Oh, Oh, that's really messed up kind of reaction (laughs) as opposed to, Oh, you know, yay. (laughs) Which is the standard romance and, you know, response. I think the one place where I think it kind of breaks down having these two stories and having this, I mean, I, I I don't know if I want to go so much as to uh, spoil anything, but try I, I, not. To. Hmm? <laughs> try not to, because I do seriously think yeah. that the they give you an interesting redirection. And well, I just think there there is a moment where I don't quite understand 
a motivation of one of the characters. Hmm. Which character? Uh, a Sam. I think it's hard to give away too much. Yeah, and uh, and maybe this is something (laughs) you and I can discuss quickly, like, off mic, just because I want to get your opinion on it. And, yes, I don't want to spoil the film. Well, let's go ahead and talk about it. Okay. And then if it's if we can keep it in, we will. And right. if we can't, yeah, then fair. Yep. now that we've yeah. had that conversation. Yeah. So there was probably maybe like a a our hard a hard cut in the, in the recording here. Lydia and I had to go discuss some things. <laughs> I'm not actually I'm not going to add any of that in here. I just I can't. Um, what I really it's want definitive enough. I don't yeah. think we came to a conclusion. No, we, we really did. didn't. What we, we really <laughs> didn't. And what I would love this is a film that I would love for our viewer our listeners to watch the film and send us your thoughts on the last. 30, 40 minutes of the film at, at least, you know, obviously send your thoughts on the entire film, but yeah, I want to know what you think of the last 30, 40 minutes of this movie. Yeah. And that's, I, th- that's pretty much what we were talking about is, okay, does this, how do you feel about the end of this movie? And I, and we didn't come to a conclusion. No. <laughs> so it'd be, it'd be really interesting. I think to have other people kind of tell us what they think or if yeah, there's, yeah. if there's uh, a do, logic they feel to it. Yeah. Is there a logic? Do they, or are they as confused as I am? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in my kind of opinion, uh, you know, I'm happy to share if in a, you know, post spoiler alert, low, lower down on the conversation, you know, thread, but uh, it, it isn't something that's real, there, we've we've seen some movies where it's just very logical and it makes sense and the characters are consistent and this is not necessarily one of them. And maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just so used to the real cut and dry A to B to C to D kind of films that we often see in, in films of this time period to have one that has this many twists and turns and, and odd tangents. In storylines. In storylines. <laughs> like completely different movies in one movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely a little unusual. <laughs> yeah. If I had, really, we could have just talked about one half of this on one episode. <laughs> we probably could have. Just follow the two characters on one side and then follow the three characters on the other side. It just yeah. happens that one of the characters happens to be in both stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. It's a very interesting film with a... Fantastic group of actors. I really think all of them do a fantastic job. Kirk Douglas, you can see why he ended up having the mm-hmm. career that he did. Yeah, and I want to clarify. When I said earlier that this is not the type of role you usually expect him to do, he is not poorly cast in it. No. Um, he, I think he does a phenomenal job. He definitely is true to the character in it. It's just he's just you know not the guy that you usually expect him to be. Yeah, he goes on and is – typically given sort of the, uh, the the tough guy leading man role. Yes. And I'd actually, after seeing this, I really would have liked seeing him in more roles where he not necessarily plays the um, the weak character, but plays a more sympathetic and softer character. Yeah. Because he does a really great job. It, he has his weak moments in this movie, but he, you know, turns out, I think, to have a strong streak in him as well. 
So you can definitely see how in, in the dramatic sense, this role could have led him on to those strong characters. Yeah, possibly. Well, I think he does a fantastic job. It was so neat to see him in, you know, his first movie role. And mm-hmm. to see him just hit it out of a park. I mean, a lot of times you'll see, oh, and this mm-hmm. is also the, the first appearance of, and it's some minor little character somewhere. He's in the film for five minutes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's practically, I, like, he could have easily been on that first page of all the, uh, <laughs> with oh, yeah, all the rest definitely. of the stars. Well, and as you mentioned, I, you know, since this is his first movie, and you see a lot of them where somebody kind of, ha- well, it, it that was badly babbled. But what I'm trying to say is I think I think you're right. I think each of these characters was very well cast. I would have liked to have seen more of Martha. Um, I would have liked to have had a little more insight beyond kind of what they showed. I feel like they, they left a gap in her character that I would have loved to have had filled. We see her as a – what would you think? They, she was maybe 14, 15 uh, and it's like she never matures out of that stage. Right. And that's what I'm, that's when we first see her in the film. She's maybe 13, 14 years old. <laughs> and then we see her when she's in her 30s. And really, I think a lot of the most interesting moments in her life were before we see her in either uh, time period. I totally agree. And that, that's exactly what I mean by a gap. I think there mm-hmm. are – I think there's so much more to her character because what we see is kind of two-dimensional and weird. I keep using that word. And I mean it in, in the creepy sense. I think she's very – she's obviously an extremely selfish person, but it's like that's the only aspect of her. And I feel like – I would have liked to have seen more of more of her conflict, more of her inner conflict, because you sure. don't really see any of that, I don't think. And you really kind of want to know. There's, there's so many little bits and pieces that they give you in conversation that mm-hmm. kind of fill in what happened in the past. But mm-hmm. there's the... Well, there's a whole conversation we skipped when she's showing him how she's redecorated the house, you know, and, and at one point, you know, they're telling each other to ask questions and he says, you know, when did you marry Walter? And she says, don't you mean why? And he says, I asked when, and she Mm -hmm. says, right after college. And then he says, why? (laughs) But there's that whole, yeah, I agree with you. That would have been really interesting to see how this girl who is essentially an extremely strong character almost got suckered or wheedled into marrying Walter. Right. Yeah, especially because she is the head of apparently a very major. I don't know what it is that the Ivers. I don't know what the Ivers Corporation produces, but apparently it has grown leaps and bounds since she took it over. And she is running it. She is a woman running the corporation. Yep. And she said, "What it used to have a thousand employees. Now it has three thousand, something like that." And she said, "I did it all myself." Yeah. Yeah. She says, I did it all myself, you know, so she's this huge, hugely strong character, but somehow she's gotten manipulated and it's, and I, I think you're exactly right. I would love to know that those are the gaps I'd like to see. You, you would think that she would maybe need to marry a man so she can like, you know, control from behind. But, but that's not how she does it. No, she does. She doesn't. Other than the fact that she obviously, uh, she's been kind of grooming Walter for bigger and better things in his career. But so was his father. So that, he's yeah. used to that. His position makes sense to me. But for her to have been pushed into that, I, I feel like there are some inconsistencies with each of the characters. There mm-hmm. are some things. I think Tony is the only one that, well, Tony and Walter, I feel like, make sense in, yes. in themselves. Sure. But I feel like Sam and, and Martha are 
they don't quite make sense. Yeah, and I would like to know, you know, we find out that Martha's father died, mm-hmm. but we don't know anything about her mother. I'm assuming she died as well. Presumably. <laughs> and I'm, and obviously her mother was her aunt's sister because her aunt wouldn't have hated her father if right. they were brother and sister, probably. Uh, it would be unlikely. It's possible, but unlikely. No, it's Especially obviously... Especially in film world. No, you definitely get the impression it was already... It was a wealthy family, and her sister obviously married low. Mm-hmm. And oh well, she would have had to have done yes. because the different last names. Right. Oh, that's right. Because Martha. No, I'm Martha Smith. Oh, you are Ivers. I've had it legally changed. Yeah. So there's lots of interesting stories that we only get hints of that we never. And I, not saying that the stories that we do get aren't interesting. I just you feel like They're you're coming. Yeah. You feel like you're coming in. <laughs> you're you're coming into the conversation when it's halfway halfway over. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, the the love triangle it makes sense to me where it's placed, where what part of that we see, but you kind of have this. They're so weird that these this juxtaposition of this brand new kind of romantic interest and this bizarre love triangle. It feels like there's something off balance with it. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, what you said about the the producer and about the different directors, that actually makes more sense to me of this movie than the movie itself does. Yeah, that may explain why some of it feels disjointed. Mm-hmm. That's a very good possibility. And unfortunately, it's one of those films where, you know, you're probably never going to really find out the truth <laughs> behind it because there's probably no one, not. there isn't anyone left to ask. You know, I I don't think Kirk Douglas is doing many interviews <laughs> anymore. <laughs> probably not. So uh, it's un- it's unfortunate. It would be interesting to to have the the backstory on yeah, this. Yeah, we film. should call up Turner Classic Movies and see what they digged up or dug up about it. Dig yeah, up. no kidding. You know, I didn't think about that. I should go to the TCM. Sometimes they've got some pretty neat write-ups. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't have anything more than you can find on Wiki or IMDb, but, you know, every but now they, and again. They probably got uh, Wiki and IMDb probably pulled it from Turner. From Turner, exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, if anybody does know, please feel free. To <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Please feel free to absolutely. message us or, or comment on Facebook under and, this post. Any film historians or anything, please. Absolutely. It would be very interesting. Uh, as far as the quality of this film, I think it's a pretty decent quality. The audio is good. I mean, you could actually understand everything. Uh, the picture was, was pretty crisp, so that was nice. So the, you know, certainly none of that's going to go into my for or against on my rating. It's just it's it's good quality. It's a decent quality for you know 1946. You usually start falling into some nicer prints. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. So uh, I think we should throw some ratings on this thing. Okay. How about if you go first? All right. All right. <laughs> I have to admit. I have to admit. Yeah. I I'm at first. I think it was the first time I watched this. I was like, ah, it was interesting. But then I found myself really kind of having to make myself watch it again to do the synopsis. And I had to do it kind of in uh, in fits and starts. I'd watch like a half an hour one night, and then I'd come back and watch another half an hour or 40 minutes the next night until I, until I finished it all off. Mm, I just don't know. It, it was really neat to watch for the acting, for the actors. And some of the story, though, just kind of pulls me out a little bit. I'm going to... I'm really I'm kind of coming up between a three and a half and a four. <laughs> and maybe, I'm laughing because I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I want to give it a four, but I'm not sure I can. Exactly, and and, and a three <laughs> just feels like it's too low. Yeah, out of five, <laughs> I feel like a three is too low. 
So I, can't, I, I would say I would be comfortable giving it a three and a half. Mm-hmm. If I watched it again and found something phenomenal about it that I missed the first and second times, then at that point, maybe I could give it a four. Yes. And, and I think maybe, maybe again, that's kind of one of those things. After we, we've talked about how having these conversations, we think of things that we didn't think about when we were watching it on our own. Right. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the answer is we go back and watch it again after this conversation and then properly rate it next time. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of one of the things I want to say, We're oh, no. Facebook comments. Yeah, I want to say, I want to say, oh, it's a five. You have to watch it just to get people to watch it and, <laughs> and send this. I agree. It's, 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 I don't. I don't want to give it a three and a half because of the quality. It's because I don't know if I should give it a five. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little confusing. So I think just for that sake, I can't give it better than a four because mm-hmm. it is a little confusing about, well, should it be a five? Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you have to ask yourself that, then it's not. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it is definitely one that I, I would like to hear other people's thoughts on it for sure yeah i would definitely like Especially to have some other the end I, mm-hmm. I feel like the end of it is one of those that it leaves big it leaves big possibilities and i'd yeah. be very interested to know you know what other people think of it yeah. no for me this film begs discussion mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that's re- and that's really what i want people to to do i want i want to be part of more discussions about this film uh, yeah, yeah I, I i guess if you you know, twist my arm. I could come in at a four just because I think the acting is pretty superb from most of the the cast. I agree. I'll give it a begrudging four. How's that? <laughs> I I think that's fair. I to me, the reason I don't want to rank it higher is because it it's not a coherent story. Yes, that's it's the not... one thing that her that really knocks it down for me is just these mm-hmm. points in the story where it just feels like. It's two different movies. Yeah. That, it feels like it's two different movies. You ha- And you have two different women that could – two different female characters is what I mean that could in their own rights be a, the main character of this movie. But the movie's called The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, well – but darn it, you know, if it was called The Strange Love of Sam Masterson, I'd be like, heck yeah, this dude. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, so if it were called that, like, or, you know, Sam Struggles with Love, or okay, that would be a horrible right. title. But you know, <laughs> if it was clearly a movie about him, then it would easily be a four. But mm-hmm. since it's not clearly a movie about him, the title just makes it supposed to be about somebody else, and that's why it's confusing. Well, I think that is going to do it because I think we're just going to – our heads are going to start hurting if we keep going. <laughs> My head already hurts. <laughs> so, yes, please, 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 if you've watched this film, let us know what you thought of the of the picture. And you know, send us emails at orphanentertainment at gmail.com or comment on our Facebook uh, group. If you are going to talk kind of spoiler, just put a big old capital – all capital spoiler tag in your uh, – or spoiler tag. Well, spoil you know all capital spoiler. Let it, let people know in case anyone wants to kind of skip it if they haven't actually watched the film or yeah, if they're if you haven't if they're going watched to watched it yet. Then do watch it. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> we just love to know. It, it's it, yeah. It is a movie that bears uh, talking about for sure. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm sorry if Liddy and I sort of rambled on this one. It's <laughs> it's it's an interesting one. It's a tough one. Um, 
but yeah, uh, go and check it out and then uh, let us know what you thought. Lydia, thank you very much for kind of uh, fighting your way through this one on, with me. <laughs> and it wasn't, it's not a hard movie, but it is a hard discussion. So I've, I'm grateful to have been here. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. We will talk to you very soon. Bye, all. Bye.